Welcome to The Social Workers radio talk show on WCDB Albany 90.9 FM with co-hosts Dr. Eric Hardiman and Alyssa Lopmore. Here at The Social Workers, we address issues important to our communities with social work students, alumni, and community partners as our guests. As part of the University at Albany School of Social Welfare, we hope to take social work beyond the classroom and agency settings and directly to the public because the public is the client. Catch us on air, online, and anytime. Welcome back. This is WCDB Albany. My name is Eric Hardiman, and I'm here with Alyssa Lotmore with the Social Workers Radio Show. Welcome back, Alyssa. Hi, Eric. It's great to be here as always. It is always great to be here. We have a new academic year. We have lots of great topics to talk about on the social workers. It's a a time of rejuvenation and kind of getting ready for what's to come and lots of exciting conversations ahead for us. So, uh, you know, maybe do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about our show, Alyssa, folks who maybe are tuning in for the first time? Yeah, so we are a, we see the public as a client. I'd like to say that that's what, how we started. That's how the show was introduced to me yeah. as an original pitch. It's really being able to spread the, the research and happenings um, and about all about social work to a general audience and also to our, our colleagues um, and researchers, but it's really getting the message of social work out there uh, to individuals who might never have considered seeing or using a social worker. So our our guests range from our faculty members, which we'll have one on today, to our community partners, to authors who wrote books, uh, you know, related to social work mm-hmm. um, topic areas. I mean, it's a it's a really good range. So and it's students too. And students too, you know, what's really going on in the social work area. So I'm always excited to, I I get really excited about interviewing people and just learning about what they're doing and how they're contributing to the field, whether it's a research area or whether it's a local nonprofit is talking about these new services or it's something else that's opening for them. So it's our students who are doing research um, and involved in the community. So it's it's a mix. You'll find that here. And if you're listening for the first time, this is WCDB Albany. We're the student-run radio station at the University of Albany's uh, main campus. And we've been doing the Social Workers Radio Show for over a decade now, I believe. Is that right, Alyssa? Yes. Yes, we have. And I would preface, it's a student-run station, but we are not students. (laughs) That's right. That's right. I'm a faculty member and Alyssa is a staff member. And we're we're both long-term members of the UAlbany community and love doing the show and love talking to folks. If you're listening for the first time and you don't even know what social work is, um, that's kind of uh, part of the show too, is sort of introducing the profession to our listenership. And it's a profession that's very broad, that touches lots of different elements in society, that works um, you know, with individuals, families, groups, populations, communities, neighborhoods, uh, works in the practice realm, the policy realm, research, and we're, I'm just thrilled today. We're uh, just about ready to introduce you to our newest faculty member at the School of Social Welfare, one of our newest faculty members. Um, and this is someone who comes to us from California and who really, I think, embodies what it means to be a social worker and to be involved in social work research. And so, and scholarship and knowledge generation and all of the exciting things that social work can do for society, really. 
And so, uh, yeah, so let me go ahead and introduce, we have with us today, Angie Wooten. Angie is a brand new assistant professor here in the School of Social Welfare at the University at Albany. Her mixed methods research focuses primarily on characterizing and seeking remedies to persistent mental health and behavioral health disparities in the LGBTQ plus community, primarily among sexual minority women, transgender and gender non-binary people, and those experiencing intersecting forms of stigma, discrimination, and exclusion based on sex, gender, and sexuality. This work takes a strengths, resilience, and trauma recovery focus to identify and promote promising new pathways to well-being for multiply marginalized LGBTQ plus people. That's, uh, that's an exciting uh, introduction. Um, Angie, we are thrilled to have you here on the campus. It's an exciting time to be bringing on new faculty members at the School of Social Welfare. We've got um, you know, a long history as a School of Social Welfare and we're just thrilled to welcome new members. And so welcome to the social workers and officially, Alyssa and I get to be some of the first to officially welcome you to UAlbany. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here on this show and um, joining the school. Great, great. So you're coming here directly from California, Berkeley, and um, great institution, of course. And I, I say that as an alum myself. Um, <laughs> so it's exciting to get another Cal alum here. But, um, you know, it's a big shift moving from California to New York. And so we're, we'd love to hear, you know, sort of some of your uh, your thoughts about coming to Albany and what's exciting to you. And maybe tell us, as you do that, tell us a little bit about how you got into social work. We always like to find out what, uh, what our interviewees, you know, own personal journeys into social work were like. Sure, sure. Happy to say a few things about that. <clears throat> like you mentioned, I'm coming from California where I've lived in coastal California for um, all of my life. And um, when I've been out there, I've often been involved in a variety of community activities. Um, I started off my social work sort of background um, in high school and before doing community service in my local community, getting mm -hmm. to know folks that were experiencing homelessness and serving meals, doing volunteering at different organizations. And um, I'm a proud um, lifelong public school student and uh, staff and now faculty. Um, and so I've gotten all of my training that has led me to social work through the really great public systems that existed in California, um, starting out at public schools, going to um, a community college, mm. uh, transferring to the state school, um, doing some education there, going out into the community, doing a bit of social work practice, and then coming back and doing a master's in a part-time evening program while I was working and yeah. doing social work. And then through that, um, finding a lot of interest and passion for research and ultimately deciding to um, shift towards a career in social work research and teaching. Um, so ultimately, I think that there are some ways that this is a continuation of that um, public institution path, one yeah. where I continue working at one of, you know, the most excellent public schools that we have as a community resource in this capacity. So in some ways, yes, I've moved across the country, but 
I have chosen to be in a system that really has some familiarity with yeah. where I yeah. went to school, where I have worked, and um, where I want to contribute for my career. It's a fantastic uh, answer. I mean, it's really, uh, you, you know, in listening to you and thinking about your pathway here, as you put it, um, I hear a lot of similarities to some of our students and students who have started in public school systems, gone to community colleges, maybe found their way to a four-year college or university, found their way to a master's degree, and then they're figuring out how to become change agents in the community. And social work is one of the really nice professions that is practical, that, that can give students and give social workers an opportunity to make a difference in the community. And so I hear that um, commitment to public education, commitment to change and working toward change in a community through, through your words. So uh, I think you're going to be a great fit here. And I think it's, you know, it's just an exciting time to, to have um, new faculty for our students, for our staff, for all of us. So Welcome again. <laughs> yeah, welcome you. not only to welcome not only to Uabany, but to the the capital region. Um, mm -hmm. So hopefully, there's a lot to do here and a lot to a lot of ways that you can be involved with the community. And that's one of the things that I think is so great about the School of Social Welfare is that our students are actively involved in the community, and hopefully that they are being inspired to continue to do that great work, whether it's through going on to get their PhD to do research or to be more involved with our local nonprofits um, that way. So you had mentioned that, you know, through your, the part-time or evening MSW program that you were doing, you started to get a, an interest in research. So can you tell us about like what inspired you to go on to get your PhD and then also choose, choose your dissertation topic? Sure, sure. So I, when I started out as a social worker, I had no intention of going into research. I had no intention of becoming a professor. Um, and part of the MSW training that stuck out to me and that resonated me was training around research methods and was training around how we can be the most effective at our jobs as social workers, mm. how we can most efficiently create social change, how we can efficiently help people get towards the outcomes that they want to see in their own lives. And so through learning about research, I found it to be an area where I could really increase my impact. So I had done work related to LGBTQ community well-being before. Um, I had done work um, at an HIV AIDS service organization. I had done work at homeless shelters, which included many people who were um, LGBTQ plus identified. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think I realized in research during my MSW that um, there was a need for people who were taking a broader systematic look at some of these issues um, to see really what does work, what does help folks live well and stay well, what helps folks um, live their best despite challenges and obstacles and forms of oppression that make it really challenging. Um, and so I think I saw within my MSW this opportunity to increase my impact beyond an individual level, which is where I'd been kind of starting my social work career. Mm -hmm. I was working individually with people. Um, and so this led to my research focus, which broadly has mostly centered around um, LGBTQ plus communities. So people who are lesbian, bisexual, transgender, 
um, questioning um, queer, you know, a, a reclaimed term that has been popularized by some, um, reclaimed as a, a source of pride or identity rather than as a, a slur as it was in previous days. Um, and so I realized that there was some sections of the LGBTQ plus community who were heavily researched and more funded um, and some who were much less so. And this drove me to work with um, sexual minority women, with transgender, gender non-binary and gender expansive folks, um, because there is not nearly as much research about what, what helps um, these communities stay well and do well compared to some populations who've had more um, support. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting listening to you, Angie. I mean, a couple of the things, one of the things that, that I'm picking up on is this notion of community. And, and I wanna talk about, you use the term community well-being. And, and I guess for our listeners, I wonder if, um, without looking for a book definition, can you tell us like, what, what, is the, what does community well-being mean to uh, a, a population that, as you put it, is marginalized, is discriminated against and oppressed and, and faces multiple challenges? Um, what does what this concept of community well-being look like and how can we um, work towards it, I guess? as a goal? Sure, and these Good are question. the, <laughs> of course, these are the million dollar social work questions. Um, and these are things I've been grappling with on many levels for many years, starting with getting my bachelor's degree at UC Santa Cruz, um, focusing in community studies. So trying to look really what even is community? What is this mm -hmm. idea we have of community? And I think for me, um, the way I understand it is that humans are greatly interconnected. We are social beings and um, we need each other to, um, to stay well, to survive, to do our best, um, to heal, to flourish. And so I think when I look at individual problems or the ways that some LGBTQ people might struggle, um, perhaps with mental health, with substance use patterns that aren't working great, with recovery from challenging situations or trauma, I think about the fact that we are all within community. No one is siloed on their own, right. um, but ultimately that there's a lot of strengths and resources that come from the community um, and that can be leveraged. So I try to balance holding an individual perspective about what it takes for folks to do well and the kind of this broader systemic picture of what the conditions are out there um, and what resources and opportunities and challenges are in the the environment. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, you know, maybe, you know, if you could, it's a great perspective. Can you tell us a little, and it's one I think that resonates with you, Albany, as a school, because particularly with the School of Social Welfare, we take, I think this is really the whole university, but particularly in social welfare, we take the notion of community engagement very seriously and, and view ourselves not just as an institution of education, although that's you know, our, a primary uh, avenue of what we do, but also engaging with the community, bettering the community, partnering with the community, helping, you know, various communities and sub-communities and really being a, a true partner out there um, in our local area. And so that's that's something that resonates a lot for, for us as faculty and social workers. Um, can you tell us about your dissertation, I guess? I mean, it sounds like a really exciting project and particularly for listeners who 
are new to these topic areas, what um, just give us kind of the you know the uh, the quick pitch on your dissertation, what it's about, what you found, what was exciting about it, maybe what some of the challenges were, et cetera. Sure. I'm happy to do that. So my dissertation was a series of three research papers, which is um, one format that some dissertations take. Mm -hmm. And I worked with um, an incredible researcher, Dr. Tonda Hughes at Columbia University, who launched along with some partners, um, arguably the first and most comprehensive study of sexual minority women's well-being, um, including their mental health and substance use. So this was around 2000. And so they've been following a group of um, several hundred sexual minority women and learning about their, their life experiences, health and well-being for many years now. Wow. And so I worked to analyze how um, this group is doing most recently. And so I did an analysis that we did a few analyses, um, one of which looked at the role of resilience in some of the most common conditions that impact sexual minority women. So example, for example, looking to see whether um, enhancing one's resilience or having a greater sense of resilience can be uh, protective against or decrease the chances of someone developing depression or anxiety or alcohol yeah. use disorder. Um, you know, finding that, yes, resilience did matter. Um, you know, being able to constructively cope with, um, find resources for and move forward through challenges um, is clearly key for minority people and for others in general. Yeah. Uh, and, and then I took the work a little bit further and tried to figure out what, what's really behind resilience? What is it that helps people enact resilience? Um, and I did a deeper dive looking into social support. So looking at the kinds of social supports that are most related to resilience. Um, finding that LGBTQ community support was really essential for sexual minority women um, and that support from um, family and friends and others was also considered important. Mm. And then I just took that one step further and I looked at it kind of in this pandemic context. Um, we had done interviews with a number of sexual minority women about how their lives had changed in the early pandemic, how their well-being had shifted, um, trying to kind of broadly map what was happening as it emerged. Um, and through that work, um, I found that there was a lot of different shifts in social support that occurred during the pandemic, people's relationship to the LGBTQ community, um, people's social support from others, both increased and decreased. There was a, a wide range of changes that occurred. Mm -hmm. um, so all of this work kind of tries to characterize um, how folks attempt to stay well, what seems to work, um, with an eye on being able to spread the word and help others also have access to those resources for well-being. Now, it seems like the pandemic, and that's not good, a good thing, but it seemed to help maybe break it down a little bit more clearly because you could see what happens when all of those social supports um, or people become isolated, you know, when things start vanishing. Did that did that surprise you at all um, when you saw the when people were becoming more isolated or people were losing the ability to contact, um, you know, be close with uh, family or peers or colleagues? Did you notice, uh, were you surprised at that? Or was it sort of like, oh, yes, this just proves my point of that this is one of the factors for building that resiliency? Mm -hmm. 
I think there are aspects of this that to me are greatly unsurprising. And there are aspects to me that brought out some nuance that I didn't previously see. Hmm. Um, from our work with, with LGBTQ communities, um, you know, from broader survey data and from these interviews, I think we kind of saw like a, a polarizing effect of the pandemic. Um, for some people, um, their forms of social connection and social support just shifted, they changed. They became perhaps more online, more phone-based, um, but they did not necessarily cease or decrease. For other people, there was kind of a, a swift cutting off of support, um, especially for folks that traditionally um, socialized in person, socialized in community gathering spaces or businesses that were shuttered during shelter-in-place orders. Um, and so I think we saw kind of a, a little bit of a sense of a widening, um, you know, inequity or disparity in how folks did. Yeah. Um, so part of my work is trying to map kind of what what led to those different trajectories. It's it's an interesting time too, you know, to think about them. It's such a, as a researcher and someone asking questions and trying to explore and answer questions for the greater good, I think, if you will, um, and for knowledge generation. Um, it's an interesting time. I mean, the pandemic and the post-pandemic, if, if hopefully we can call it that, um, time that we're in right now gives us such an incredible opportunity to think about these things, to think about how people are affected by social support, by connection with others, and then conversely through isolation and lack of support and lack of connection. But it also brings up for me, and I've, I've heard you uh, mention this a little bit and, and seen in some of your work, the notion of technology. And so, you know, I think all of us have different relationship to technology in the past four years. We're, you know, we're doing a video conference right now for this interview, uh, with, which maybe four or five years ago, we wouldn't have done so easily. Uh, although Skype was around and people were doing video interviews, it's become ubiquitous now. And so um, I know some of your research touches on technology and how technology might be used um, by populations uh, you know, that are um, receiving support services. Can you talk a little bit about that and about sort of the role of technology and how that plays into your own scholarship and research? Sure, I think by virtue of having spent the last decade or so in the San Francisco Bay Area, where technology is ubiquitous, it is yeah. everywhere, it is in the water, <laughs> it is in the air, um, you know, the self-driving cars around the city make you not forget this. Wow. Um, so I think before the pandemic started, I worked on a research study at UC San Francisco that was looking into the use of video chat and text message-based counseling for folks who were young and living in the Bay Area um, with HIV or AIDS. Um, because at the time, even just, you know, this was 2017, 2018, um, there was a lot of resistance of counselors and therapists and social workers to use technology for meeting with their clients. There were a lot of concerns around privacy, a lot of concerns around data security, a lot of um, just generally unfamiliarity with using things like Zoom for counseling. And so some of my earlier work tried to do research and understand whether these technologies were actually feasible. Mm -hmm for counseling and social work services or whether they had unintended 
consequences or unintended challenges for participants. And ultimately the work that I did found that um, many, many folks really appreciated being able to do virtual therapy, virtual counseling. They appreciated being able to text message to get resources or to reschedule. Um, and so we published a lot from that study to try to get the word out about some of the factors that made it easier or harder for folks to use those technologies within social work and counseling practice. Um, and then shortly after the pandemic struck and I felt like I was in the right place at the right time because suddenly there were tons of counselors, therapists and others who were shifting towards these technologies. Mm. I felt glad to have been able to contribute to the work around preparing our field to make that shift. And then now, as you look at it um, a few years down the line, many, many, many counselors, therapists, and others use technology within their work. Um, some of the concerns that we previously had, um, the anxieties have been allayed or decreased as we've gone mm -hmm. on. Um, and so I think I come from an awareness that technology is, it's here, it's the future. Um, and so we need to work within it to be able to better meet people where they're at, especially if using technological tools can help us to be more accessible to those who otherwise might not be able to come in for a traditional appointment in an office. Mm -hmm. Perhaps folks that are rural, perhaps folks that don't have great transportation or who have other barriers to getting into an office to get support. It's, it's a different world, certainly. And I think, you know, so I heard talking to some social workers and practitioners and people in the helping arena that, uh, that they saw it as temporary, that they thought, you know, this is something, the technology that will get us through the pandemic, but then we'll go back to predominantly an in-person modality. But um, I, I'm hearing, you know, and seeing more now and certainly hearing in your words, um, a, a shift, you know, that it's not, it was not just a temporary blip, if you will, but it's, it's really something that's maybe transforming how we think about interaction and how we think about accessibility, how we think about the future and, and, and you know, without uh, getting too general and too broad about it, but, but it really does potentially have some huge implications for, uh, for the social work profession. Absolutely. And I think for me, I am really driven by the social work value of accessibility and of equity, which for me means that ensuring that the support that I can give or the service that services that an organization I work for provides um, can get to the people who need it most and that um, there is access. And that requires not making people jump through major hoops or do things that are beyond what's feasible for them to receive um, services that are necessary. Yeah. Well, it also goes back to your point too, is making sure when you were talking about the resiliency piece and how some people do respond better to in-person and just that community feel. And as we are shifting a little bit where some things that used to be in person are only, you know, it's just expected. It was like a given, this would be in person as we see a shift and some things that used to be a given are now, oh, it's probably virtual this year or things are not the same, how do we still um, make sure that those individuals who sort of thrived in that kind of setting, in-person setting and in-person connection, how do we make sure that they're still um, getting that, having that resiliency and support system? And I think that's the tricky, the tricky slope in social work. So your research is so important. It's how do you make sure that the people who really do need that 
um, more of that in-person feel? How do they adjust and, um, you know, take in that technology piece that is here now? Absolutely. And I think we're moving towards a hybrid model, both in education and in perhaps the social work field or the broader counseling and social support field of recognizing that different people have different needs. For different people, different kinds of services or settings work best. And that is normal and natural. And we need to be flexible and adaptable um, to best meet folks with what they need, um, whether that be more traditional in-person counseling or therapy, or whether that be something like what I worked on prior, where it's a you know 20 to 30 minute phone chat on Zoom. Yeah. So I want to shift a little, let me just remind listeners, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to WCDB Albany, and this is the Social Workers live radio show, talk show and podcasts, uh, associated podcast, where we talk with folks in the community about social work and related issues. And we're talking with Angie Wooten. Dr. Angie Wooten is a brand new assistant professor in the School of Social Welfare at the University of Albany. And we're talking about her research, talking about technology, resilience, uh, diverse populations and all sorts of things. So I wanted to shift a little bit, Angie, and talk about, um, you, you've, had, you've done some work on the relationship between policy and the real world and sort of how policies that are enacted by government essentially um, and legislators impact populations. And I'm really intrigued by this because, you know, when we think about the current context right now, and particularly with the populations that we're talking about today, LGBTQ plus populations, we are in a time that's um, quite frankly, a little scary where laws are being passed around the country that are harmful to transgender populations, to folks uh, you know, who are different in, in any way. And, and so we're starting to see, um, without you know, getting too negative here, we're, we're starting to see uh, the possibility of um, policies being made and laws being enacted that are quite harmful to huge groups of people in our own country. And, and that's frightening, it's scary, and it's something that we need to work, I believe we need to work um, to counteract. But I guess more generally, I'm curious if you could talk us through a little bit about sort of your own views on how policy actually impacts people. Sometimes we think of policies and laws as just being what, you know, what state government or what the federal government does, but that they don't always have a real world impact. But I think some of your work on marriage equality, for example, and the recognition of marriage equality and how that's impacted people. I guess, could you just talk about sort of that relationship between policy and the real world? Sure, sure. I think for me, what stands out most is that there's clear evidence in the research that living in an environment where there are policies in place on a local level, on a regional level, on a national level that um, actively marginalize, put you to the side, oppress, take away rights, um, or otherwise limit your access to full civic participation and citizenship mm. and expression of your individuality um, there's clear research that those are very harmful for mental health and really harmful for well-being. 
um, psychologically, it is really damaging to live in a in a place or a world um, that does not believe in your legitimacy, your right to exist as you are, or that doesn't actively always care about your well-being or your experience, frankly. Um, and I think that when I've done previous research about the the ways that people who lived in states that had legalized gay marriage, how they did differently or how they um, had different well-being outcomes compared to those who lived in states that were, you know, actively oppressive in some ways, um, it really became stark to me that these things directly matter. And I think they trickle down in a variety of different ways from how folks are treated at work, the amount of protections they have um, for their individual expression or um, what they tell others at work about themselves, um, about access to real benefits to things like health insurance through a partner, um, if married, right? There's you know over a thousand legal benefits that come along with being married that folks don't always realize in terms of um, various protections and tax breaks and whatnot. Um, so I think once I really started to see how stark these disparities were between folks living in affirming and unaffirming places, um, the more I realized that we absolutely have to consider policy contexts when looking at an individual's well-being. Um, we can't look at one individual, you know, for example, who's experiencing depression and maybe substance use challenges and not consider the way that the messages they receive in their society about um, their worth, their validity, and their access to um, mainstream benefits and resources. We can't, we can't not consider those things when we're looking at someone's individual well-being. Um, and I think certainly this research has been used in court to try to fight back against some policies that are expected to be very harmful. Um, so I think this is a continued line of research I've had that started with looking at marriage legalization. Um, I did some research tracking the impacts of the 2016 election um, and then moving on to COVID. So I'm continuing to keep an eye on this as it unfolds. Yeah. Well, I think one thing that, you know, when I was a student at UAlbany it, uh, back back in the early 2000s, um, it was always uh, micro and macro. Like that was, I, I'm never going to do macro work. Why do I even have to take a macro class? It was very um, separate. And I think now to, you know, going to where we are today, go, you know, it's I think all students coming in realize that it's not that separation anymore, uh, that micro and macro go hand in hand and you can't work individually with clients without addressing the macro issues that uh, and the policy issues that are impacting clients. So I'm really excited uh, that you're going to be here at UAlbany teaching classes to this, to students, you know, really helping to show that connection even more and the importance of why all social workers need to be able to address, even if they're interested in sitting one-on-one, -on -one, they need to be able to look at and understand and address some of the policy issues that are directly impacting clients every single day. Absolutely. And policy advocacy and advocacy for marginalized populations um, is an explicit part of our code of ethics as social workers and as our professional values. Um, so I think one of the things that really has drawn me to social work and kept me in social work has been this kind of holistic perspective that isn't just about the individual, but that considers the individual in their social environment, in their political environment, 
in a way that can feel a little bit more holistic, a little more well-rounded than um, looking at the individual as if they were not in relationship with others or in relationship with a, a broader society. It is really one of the things that sets us apart as a profession and that makes social work unique is that that um, that we look at things from that very multidimensional perspective and that we don't just, you know, we're not just therapists and counselors, although that's part of what social work, social workers may do. Um, there's a much more nuanced, holistic, you know, a much broader way of looking at things. And, and the correlate of that is that social workers also have an impact in so many different ways. They don't just impact individuals, although they do that and they help people get through challenges they face individually. Social workers also impact neighborhoods and communities and states. And um, there's just this ability of social work. We have social workers in state government and in the federal government. We have social workers in legislatures. We have social workers who are making a difference on every level. And, and it's all part of social work. It's all part of what we're trained to do. So um, it's exciting to hear. And I agree with Alyssa that I think you're gonna bring just such a wonderful um, perspective to our students and our faculty and our staff. So as, as I think about sort of officially welcoming you to the University of Albany into the School of Social Welfare, um, I, I, I'm very much aware of how much you will bring to, to our faculty, to our staff, to our students, to our university community. I guess um, I'm curious to hear you talk a little bit about your approach to teaching and sort of what you expect to bring to the classroom and sort of how your research and scholarship plays out in the classroom and what might a student who's considering taking a class with you, what, you know, what, what would that experience be like for them? Sure, sure, happy to say a few things about that. So I, you know, come from a direct practice experience. I come from working in nonprofits, doing case management, doing service coordination, doing counseling and therapy navigation. And I realized that the MSW is really a professional training program in a lot of ways. It's a program where students can come and learn a set of skills that they can really directly apply to their work on the ground with real people and real organizations and communities. And so I hold that close to my heart. And when I teach, I aim to help students um, clarify what it is that they imagine their impact being, where they specifically can imagine doing social work um, as their career and help guide them towards that direction, towards experiences that will enable them to find work in that area. Mm -hmm. And then I think really focusing the time in class on building practical um, skills for practice, um, talking about hard topics like, how do you interact with clients about difficult conversations? How do you deal with um, challenging interactions with others? How do you deal with people who perhaps are not enthusiastic about maybe being mandated to receive a service from you? Um, and so I think I try to really ground my teaching in these practical realities of what it means to be a social worker. So rather than thinking overly abstractly about these issues, trying to find our words, practice how we might talk to people, um, practice looking up resources or navigating towards what we might want to provide for our clients. So I think I provide a really hands-on and applied approach. Um, again, one of the things I really like about social work is that it is directly geared to what you might do professionally, um, which I think is very different than some other degree programs. 
But I'm looking forward to in my classes getting students together to share wisdom um, and to kind of co-learn to figure out this work as we go along together. I loved hearing your phrase, finding our words. I think that that's something that's really um, intrinsic to what Alyssa and I do with, try to do with this radio show is try to think about how social workers articulated, how social workers articulate their own practice, how they talk about it, how students talk about it. Um, I had a student say to me this past year that, um, that they felt like rather than having students do written assignments, we should have students do, you know, many more oral assignments that, that social workers and students who are training to be social workers need to find their words. They need to learn how to talk about in public ways, to get out there in the public, to talk about, to advocate, to articulate, you know, challenges that face communities, challenges that face individuals and families and groups. And, and that it's not just enough to learn about the academics of it and to talk about it and write about it, but it, you know, or to write about it, but to actually talk about it, to get out there and be part of the conversation. And so that's what Alyssa and I love to do with this show is really to talk to people and, and get some of the conversation started. Even if we, I mean, we could talk for hours with you and, and really delve into lots of these topics more. And unfortunately we don't have time to do that here. But hopefully if you're listening and you've been interested in some of these topics that we've been talking about today, uh, we encourage you to continue the conversation, to reach out to us or to Angie or to, you know, to look at the University of Albany and look at, you know, maybe some of the courses that we offer and some of the learning opportunities that we offer, that these conversations are ongoing and that finding our language and finding our words um, and being able to engage in dialogue is really, really important. So I loved hearing you you kind of uh, touch on that that concept. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And and truly though, being a social worker and becoming faculty here is is one of the greatest privileges and and joys that I have been able to have. I think for me, being able to find alignment between my values, the contribution I want to make in the world, and a profession that explicitly supports that, allows it, and um, values it has been incredible. And I think I would encourage folks that are potentially looking for their career path to consider how you can enact your values or how you can ensure that the work you do is going to create the, the end goals or the social good that you might want, um, because I have found that to be the most rewarding part of this work. Yeah, one of the things, and Alyssa, you know, feel free to chime in, but one of the things that I think we've noticed at the University of Albany, particularly in the School of Social Welfare, is that students come to our school uh, with different goals these days, that they really want to enact that, that merger, and merger's maybe the wrong word, but that um, they, they want to learn something, they want to learn a set of skills and practices that are practical, but also that... Um, that they're passionate about, that are connected to change, that are connected to the challenges they see going on in the world around them, that, that it's not okay for, you know, our students are not just interested in jobs anymore. They really wanna do things that uh, enable them to build a career where they can make a difference. And, and that's, that's, you know, that goes way back to the beginning of the social work profession, of course, but it's also something that I think is, um, being renewed in social work right now, this idea of, of connecting what you're interested in, what you're passionate about, what means 
what, you know, what, what's important to you personally, politically, all of it swirls together. And, and then we've got this wonderful career path that can able, enable you to, to um, blend those ideas together. I agree with you, Eric. And it's not just, it's even talking to new students who are coming on campus who have co complete career shifts. Like they were yeah. doing really successful and mm -hmm. have these good jobs in other fields. And after they observed and just sort of saw what was going on in the country um, and the world, they're like, you know, I want to do something that I have passion about. I want to make a difference in this way, I want to make change. So we're definitely getting a mix of students coming in as well, who aren't the traditional student, who's just going into social work, who's returning, coming back and have been inspired to make this difference, make this change. So uh, I'm really excited to not only welcome our new faculty and have their expertise come in, uh, but also having all these students with so many different perspectives and backgrounds come into the school and uh, sort of share their knowledge and have this extra, um, what's the word, this just passion that they're gonna be displaying um, in the classroom to make change. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, again, if you've just tuned in, you're listening to The Social Workers and we've been talking with Dr. Angie Wooten who is joining our faculty at the School of Social Welfare here at the University of Albany. And Angie is, uh, I, you know, I really think you embody in a lot of ways, um, the new approach to social work knowledge generation, to social work research and scholarship and social work practice, interest in policy, a strengths perspective and looking at resilience and community well-being as we started off with a little while ago, um, but also looking at populations that have been marginalized and oppressed and discriminated against and populations that are facing multiple intersecting challenges and um, and being keenly aware of, you know, what are some of the pitfalls that our society is heading toward right now? And what are some of the ways that we as social work scholars and researchers and students and a community that we might um, help avoid some of those pitfalls? And so I think, and, and not just avoid the pitfalls, but also work together toward a more, um, you know, accepting, supportive, affirming, as you put it, community that really affirms difference, that, that values all people, regardless of who they are, that looks at people for their contributions and their potential, uh, rather than looking at them as sources of difference and something to be afraid of or something to, you know, other, quote unquote, but something, you know, looking at people and their differences as, as a, an actual benefit to a community. Absolutely. Um, looking at the inherent strengths and worth of all people and being able to use social work to uplift that um, and to strengthen that um, is something that is very close to my heart. And one way that I've been thinking about it lately as well is that we're at a time of profound challenges, profound suffering and profound change. Um, but this is also a moment that comes with profound opportunity to as social workers and as academics and students to shape the new world that we want to see to help build a version of this world that um, will be better for all. Yeah. And I am so privileged to be able to work from this capacity. 
Well, we're honored to have you join our faculty and I know our students and staff and faculty and the whole, the whole Capital Region community will benefit from your presence and you'll help show us new ways to think and help you know, inspire students and faculty alike to, uh, to think differently, to act differently and to, you know, to work toward that change. So once again, you know, an official welcome uh, to Dr. Angie Wooten. We're, we're thrilled to have you here. Um, to our listeners, you know, this is an exciting year coming up on The Social Workers. Alyssa, we have lots of great conversations ahead, lots of ways that, that listeners can interact with our show too. Uh, you know, we air this show every Thursday at 10 a.m. on WCDB Albany, which can be found at 90.9 on your FM dial if you're local in the Capital Region, but also can be found at WCDBFM.com all around the globe where folks can stream our radio station, listen to lots of great music, sports and news, but then also listen to the social workers. We'll plug our own show, um, you know, because we, we think that what we talk about here on the show is important and we think these subjects matter to the community, both the local community, the state community, the national community, and hopefully even, you know, the global community. So uh, Alyssa, do you want to talk about how folks can find us and interact with us? And if even if folks have ideas for future topics, or if you want to come on the show, if you want to reach out to us, please do so. Well, they're already hopefully listening. Um, but you know, we have a, an active uh, social media page, especially on a uh, Twitter, although I'm not sure if it's still called Twitter or not, <laughs> um, but it's, uh, you know, at our handles, uh, social workers FM, and uh, you can always email uh, Eric or I uh, on the go to albany.edu backslash SSW, and you can find the faculty page, and both Eric and I are there if you're interested in a sharing a topic idea or, uh, or a local community partner or, you know, a new an author and want to share some of your your work or research on the show, uh, definitely reach out to us. And uh, we're always excited to just highlight all the different areas of social work. So uh, never hesitate to reach out. And through those social media pages, you can also find archived episodes. Again, if you're listening for the first time and you think, wow, this was an interesting conversation, I'd love to hear others. We have archived backlogs of um, probably hundreds, I would think, of, of old interviews um, old in terms of being previous interviews, yes. um, interviews that, that will, uh, you know, maybe catch your eye and ear on different topics, right, Alyssa? We have all our shows are archived. Um, and you can uh, just search the Social Workers Radio Talk Show. It will take you to our Simplecast page where you can find the history of all of our shows. Um, they're also on our YouTube channel as well. Uh, going back to uh, days before Eric and I were even the, the, the co-hosts of this show. Um, right. So there's right. many, many, many shows uh, that you can listen to. But like I said, we have an exciting year ahead of us as well. So a lot of new episodes that we hope that you tune into. So be sure to uh, subscribe to the Social Workers um, podcast and uh, you'll always catch uh, new episodes. So Angie, thanks again for being our guest. And, you know, any final words and thoughts about, about uh, joining our community? Oh, thanks for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here. Don't be a stranger if we have opportunities to connect out there, if you're part of the UAlbany community. Um, and for LGBTQ folks listening, just a reminder that you're loved, you're valid, um, and that we need each other. A great way to end the show. Thank you so much, Angie. It's been wonderful talking with you and 
Uh, I look forward to all of our work together and collaborating and all that good stuff. So thanks again to everyone for listening to the social workers here on WCDB Albany.